DW, World in Progress. With Sarah Stephan. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Sarah Stephan. Imagine you're being thrown into prison, even though you've done absolutely nothing. All in the name of a so-called war on gangs. That's what's happening in El Salvador right now. Being young and poor is enough of a reason to get arrested. Both of these things are dangerous in our society. Some people denounce you. They say you are the member of a gang, even if you have nothing to do with them. The police don't investigate. They simply believe the anonymous callers who denounce people. Coming up now on this week's episode of DW's World in Progress. But before we dive into this story, we have to talk about the situation in Iran. Some five months ago, the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini kicked off protests against the regime of Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. It's estimated that more than 500 protesters have been killed and over 20,000 have been imprisoned. Protests still continue in several Iranian cities, including Tehran. This comes as Iran marked the 44th anniversary of the 1979 Islamic Revolution that brought the country's clerical rulers to power. Ahead of the anniversary, Khamenei reportedly pardoned tens of thousands of prisoners. That's according to state media. This includes people who weren't even convicted, though. And it comes with strings attached, such as an apology. And human rights activists have pointed out that many prominent figures remain imprisoned and arrests continue. They also added that previous pardons were not followed by the promised releases. Protests also continue all over the world. Just this weekend, Iranians living abroad and other non-Iranian supporters came together in big rallies. In Washington, D.C., London, Berlin and Paris, to name just a few. Iranians from various European cities traveled to the French capital to express their anger at the regime and to drive the point home that they weren't going to give up. They thought we were giving up. They thought we were quitting. We are here today to say the last five months were just the beginning, the beginning of the end of the Islamic Republic. That's German-Iranian Daniel Ilkhanipur, a member of the Hamburg city parliament, who called for further pressure for the Iranian Revolutionary Guards to be put on the EU terror list. Ela Zabihi, an Iranian lecturer at a London university, said the protests were here to stay. The people want a revolution. Over 30,000 people are arrested. Even regime themselves, they announced 10,000 people were arrested in Tehran. Do you think this is going to die? Absolutely not. This is going to go for a revolution. People have made it clear. Although they are uh, brutally uh, killing people, torturing them, but uh, the youth, they know there is no future under this regime. They have made their mind. They say, we better die in the streets, rather we live in this country with this regime. Isan Khare, an Iranian civil engineer working in Norway, said that the National Council of Resistance of Iran, an organization that fights for the establishment of a democratic and secular republic in Iran, has a plan for when the regime is toppled. 
the resistance, the Iranian resistance, the NCRI, it has a very well plan, 10 points plan, which guarantees free secular republic, equality for all Iranians, regardless of their uh, gender, their uh, beliefs, their ethnicities. Everyone is equal and have the same rights and opportunities that the other part of the population have. So for me and for many others inside and outside country, they, they believe that this well-organized uh, movement with its plan can be the true face of the change inside Iran. Meanwhile, the Iranian regime has arrested even more people and has tried to convince the world that many people in Iran flock to anniversary festivities to support the regime. However, videos taken by citizens inside the country destroyed that carefully orchestrated notion. Arbitrary arrests are also what citizens in El Salvador have to put up with, all in the name of the so-called anti-gang war. If you're young and someone reports you, you'll very likely end up in jail. The police are looking for someone and only the brother is home? Well, then he is going to go to jail instead. Over 60,000 presumed gang members have reportedly been arrested ever since President Nayib Bukele declared a state of emergency last spring. It's now been extended for yet another 30 days, for the 11th time. That allows arrests without any warrants. And this is not going to stop anytime soon, given the fact that a huge shiny mega prison was just presented to the public earlier this month. It's designated to house 40,000 inmates. Reporters who were allowed to tour the premises said it consisted of eight buildings. Each one has 32 cells of about 100 square meters designed to, quote, hold more than 100 inmates. So that's not even one square meter per person. But each cell will only have two sinks and two toilets, and only 80 metal bunk beds. What does that do to a country when the fear of gang violence has been replaced by the fear of arbitrary arrests? Andreas Buerke went to investigate, and Elliot Douglas has the story. Niña Margarita. Soy Carlos. Big raindrops fall on the corrugated iron roofs of the huts and houses in Guarchia, a village in the north of El Salvador, the smallest country in Central America. Hola, buenas tardes. Carlos Tobar visits Doña Margarita, the mother of his friend Francesco, who was arrested by the police six months ago. She's holding back tears. The police came with soldiers. There was no arrest warrant and no indication what the crime was. But that didn't stop them from putting handcuffs on my son and taking him away in a car. I haven't seen him since then. The only thing I know is that he is sleeping on the floor in a cell with many others. The prisoners don't get much to eat. Lots of them get sick. But there isn't any medicine. Since March 2022, the citizens of El Salvador have been living in a government-ordered state of emergency. A horrific series of murders saw 87 deaths in just three days, allegedly perpetrated by the notorious youth gang, Mara Salvatrucha.
As a response, President Nayib Bukele ordered Parliament to instigate a 30-day state of emergency. But it was to last much longer. Time and time again, the state of emergency was extended. The prisoners are accused of being members of terrorist groups. But my son was a student at the university. He didn't do any of the things that he was accused of doing. That is the same in most cases. By declaring a state of emergency, the government has suspended four basic rights. The right of free assembly, the right to privacy of correspondence, the right to be brought before a court within 72 hours of arrest and to be informed of the reasons for that arrest, and the right to legal assistance and a fair trial. The government has justified this with the goal of combating terrorism. The Salvadorian security authorities estimate that there are 80,000 members of criminal gangs out of a population of 7 million. Since the state of emergency began, some 60,000 people have been arrested, mostly without evidence and with no prospect of a proper trial. Today, 24-year-old Carlos is more afraid of the arbitrary whims of the police than of the violence of the youth gangs. Being young and poor is enough of a reason to get arrested. Both of these things are dangerous in our society. Some people denounce you. They say you are the member of a gang, even if you have nothing to do with them. The police don't investigate. They simply believe the anonymous callers who denounce people. Many mothers, like Donna Margarita, are crying about their sons who are locked up. Often they are dependent on their income. The first hearing in front of a judge takes place weeks or even months after the arrest, and then hundreds of defendants will be dealt with at the same time. No one gets set free. We can only hope that this state of emergency comes to an end soon. At the moment, the prisoners don't have any rights. It's as if they aren't even people. For decades, one of the strongholds of Mara Salvatrucha has been the small city of Sontonate by the Pacific coast. The main group that was active there was a subchapter of the gang called the Cocos Locos group. The so-called crazy coconuts are responsible for hundreds of murders. Just beyond the city limits, car mechanic Balmor Chimenez has a garage. We find spare parts in used cars and sell them. Sometimes we also do repair jobs. The small business owner has an entirely different opinion about the president's policies compared to the relatives of the prisoners. It doesn't bother him that Bukele has taken almost complete control of the parliament, the justice system and large parts of the media. Balmore Chimenez doesn't have any problem with his fundamental rights being taken away from him, if that means that the security in his country has improved. For me, the president is magnificent, magnificent. I'm going to vote for him again. These gangsters are the bloodsuckers of the people of the society. The people of El Salvador have been living in fear of gang violence for 30 years. The gang members don't care if business is going badly or well. Their collectors do nothing except constantly extort protection money. 
Until a few months ago, the town where Balmori Cimenes grew up was still under the control of the local boss of the Mara Salvatrucha. If you refused to pay, you would be killed. The small business owners were powerless. Everyone paid. Today, that is different. Most of my neighbors are not being extorted anymore. They are not scared anymore, and they even feel comfortable enough to report the gangsters to the police. No one used to do that. We knew that many of the police were in close contact with the blackmailers. But now complaints are handled confidentially. There are telephone numbers of security authorities. You can call anonymously and report someone, and they will be arrested almost straight away. After a successful arrest, the tippers received money as a reward. In a poor country like El Salvador, it is no surprise that many false accusations are made as a way to make money. Nevertheless, Balmori Chimenez isn't particularly concerned about the reports of tens of thousands of innocent prisoners. I think if the police arrest someone, they have their reasons. He will definitely have done something. On Twitter, President Bukele calls himself, apparently ironically, the coolest dictator in the whole world. When organizations like Human Rights Watch criticize the extreme conditions in the country's overstuffed prisons, he replies with tweets like this. Quote, These dodgy people from international NGOs claim to defend human rights. But in truth, they're not interested in the victims. They defend murderers as if they enjoy the massacres carried out by criminal gangs. Unquote. The emergency laws are draconian. Just being a member of a youth gang can be punished with 30 years in prison, regardless of whether the person actually did commit a crime. Even 12-year-old children can be given prison sentences of up to 10 years. UNICEF warns that the treatment of the Salvadorian government to underage defendants is in violation of international laws for the protection of children. Several young people who play in Guachia's football team are in jail too. The young coach, Carlos Tobar, is frustrated. I work with children and youths in my community, but since the beginning of the state of emergency, we don't live like we used to. The president says he wants to stop the youth gangs in the most dangerous areas of El Salvador. But here in Guarajila, it was never really dangerous. But more and more innocent people have been arrested in the last few months. Carlos Tobar walks along a sandy trail to his grandparents' house. If it's raining, he leaves behind muddy footprints. The man who was collecting sticks over there is my grandfather. Hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. We live here on this ranch. I am very concerned about the situation. The government put in this state of emergency and since then 30 people from Guarjila have been arrested. All young folk. For some of them, there was maybe a reason to lock them up, but most of them were boys who don't make problems. If the police come to get someone and they're not at home, then they simply take whichever relative is there, an older or younger brother. And 
And what will happen to the children who stay behind when their fathers are in jail? Many women are alone now. Couples have broken up. It's all so sad. It's going on all over the country. Some women tried to protest, but they were slandered by the government. They are just the mothers of criminals. True. The mareros have murdered a lot of people. But now the same thing is going on in a different way. Death stalks the prisons. More than 80 prisoners have already died of hunger or torture, including a boy from this village. He never had problems with the law, but they beat him up so much that the rip broke. Many people in Guachia want to protest against the state of emergency and to resist the arrests. But they're scared. Once they organized a demonstration. That same night, the police came and arrested three people who were there. Demonstrations like that are illegal now. And it was also a message. If you express criticism, you will go to prison. There is no freedom of expression anymore. That's where our village school teacher, Carlos Quintanilla, lives. He was my teacher too. The men greet each other warmly before the teacher begins to complain about the state of emergency. The young people in prison don't have any contact with their families. After their arrests, their parents are told, tomorrow, Go to the city of Chalatenango, buy clothes, socks, shoes, shirts, trousers, everything white, and food so the prisoners have something to eat. The state does not pay for the living costs of prisoners. Families need to pay for everything themselves and send a care package every month. But they aren't allowed to see their sons or speak to them, so they don't even know if the packages arrive. While the teacher opens two coconuts, Carlos says that there were two raids the previous night. The police came to the village at 2.30 a.m. Three people were arrested. I heard that some ran away. Now they are blacklisted. They're only safe if they make it to the U.S. For years, tens of thousands of Salvadorians have migrated to the United States annually, hoping for an improvement to their economic situation. Many fled from the violence of the Maras. Now, the random police attacks are one of the main causes of the exodus. If there were safety and good jobs in El Salvador, then young people wouldn't risk their lives by trying to get to Mexico through the desert, where they could dehydrate or become victims of the mafia. I know lots of people whose families paid three or five thousand dollars in ransom money. No one would go into this kind of dangerous situation if you could live in El Salvador without fear. Now it's a real problem to be young in El Salvador. It's as if all young people are criminals who might rob you at any moment. Desde mi punto de vista, 
tienen mucha razón. Of course, many people have good reason to think the state of emergency is good. It used to be that even poor farm laborers who worked in the sugarcane fields had to pay half of their miserable salary to gangs of blackmailers. These gangs also controlled public transport, bus lines. But now in a state of emergency, people are realizing that these issues are disappearing. The gangs have lost their power. It's clear why many people find that good. Some rural townships have almost turned into ghost towns. Entire villages are empty. There are hardly any young men and very few births. Guachia has become a village of the elderly. The teacher remembers when times were more cheerful here. The older folks used to meet at the soccer field while the young ones played. Now everything is silent. Everyone is scared. Carlos's football team doesn't even exist anymore. We used to be 15 players who I trained with on Tuesday and Thursday, but that isn't possible anymore. The ones who aren't in prison have left the country. Here we are in the center of Guajila. Xavi, come here. Orito, you too. Now only three or four young players come to training. 11-year-old Javier is angry. We can't play properly anymore. Our mothers hardly let us out anymore. They're scared the police will arrest us. I learned discipline from my coach and how to score goals. He helped me with schoolwork a lot too. He's called Carlos, Charlie, but we call him the bird. A few short steps behind the football pitch is a small house made of clay bricks. There are a number of workshops in the building. Carlos used to come here in his youth to take part in an apprenticeship. Carlos is a young man I've known him since he was I've known him since he was little. He had a scholarship from the Tamarindo Catholic Foundation. One of the boys who he trains is my 11-year-old son. He really looks forward to the training every week, but he comes home more and more disappointed every time. Mama, we couldn't play again because not enough kids came. Social worker Blanca Rina Morales is a volunteer for the apprenticeship programme. Professionally, the single mother sells household goods. She often travels to the capital for her business. She says she knows many families in the poor parts of town whose kids would never leave their house when the gangs were controlling the streets. If you didn't want to work with them, you were killed. These families have small businesses. If they refuse to pay the gangs what they demand, then their shops were burned down. Extortion and blackmail like that doesn't exist anymore. The criminals are in prison. So there are two sides to this story, and I can understand both. As a mother, I dream of a land where so much blood does not flow, of a land with no violence. 
Blanca Arena wants children like her son to be able to play outside without gang members trying to recruit them. But now she's also scared about the arbitrary arrests. We mothers are worried that the police will take away our sons. I know that my young son is not as vulnerable as 15 or 16-year-olds. As a social worker, Blanca Reina Morales leads a project called Young Entrepreneurs Creating the Future. The purpose is to create new opportunities for youth so that they don't join gangs. One of the young entrepreneurs is the student Marvin, who landed in prison as a result of the state of emergency. He was 16 when he was arrested. I just wanted to go into a shop to buy a few things. Suddenly, a police officer stopped me. He said he would arrest me because I am a bad person. He thought I had been harassing people, but he didn't even know my name. The other officers said there were witnesses who had spoken out against me, but that was a lie. They only say that so they can arrest more people. And the officers receive more money when they fulfill a certain quota. That's why so many innocent people are arrested. Marvin was sent to prison for three months. Then his sentence was extended by another three months. On his 17th birthday, he was sent to an adult prison. That was the worst time. I was really depressed and missed my family. Sometimes there wasn't any water and I couldn't drink anything at all. There were two meals at 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. When I arrived in the cell, there were 117 people in a small space. You could feel the steam coming off the bodies. It was so hot, it felt like you would burn. In other cells, there were even more people. Some of them ended up in our cell, and eventually, we were more than 300 people. Marvin was lucky. The Tamarindo Foundation managed to find a lawyer at the Catholic University who would defend him. She showed the judge his school report. Thanks to that, he set me free, on probation. There are certain requirements I needed to fulfill for seven years, but at least I was free. A month later, there was another hearing in San Salvador. The judge there said there was no reason for the parole conditions. Nobody had presented a single piece of evidence against me. Now I am really free. Football coach Carlos Tobar is happy for his prodigy Marvin, but he's also scared for himself. Maybe I was talking to a jealous guy's girlfriend. Or someone is jealous of me or wants revenge. All it takes is an anonymous report and I'll be picked up. As a young person in El Salvador, I feel tired and like I have no energy. But Carlos won't give up hope that the situation will get better one day. 
con las nuevas generaciones. Then I can play soccer again with the new generation because my old friends are no longer in the country. Hopefully, the community in the village will eventually be like it used to be. Elliot Douglas presenting that report by Andreas Burke. Before you go, have you heard of our investigative podcast Cannabis Cowboys? If you haven't, here's a sneak peek. I'm Andreas Becker. I'm Nicholas Martin. This is the story of the biggest cannabis scam ever. This is the story of Juicy Fields. I've lost 20k. I had 350,000 euros in the account. And the scam might just continue. We have owners that sometimes like to be flashy, hence why they like cannabis and crypto. Money, money green, you know, like everybody likes money. In this investigative podcast series, we entered a world that we never expected to find. It bears all the trademarks for Russian mafia. It's a fantasy. People want that the Russian is the very best. Stop fantasy. This is Cannabis Cowboys, a story about big dreams, juicy money, and never-ending hype. Find Cannabis Cowboys wherever you get your podcasts. And for more World in Progress content, go to dw.com slash worldinprogress or wherever you get your podcasts. That's our show. Thanks so much for listening. The studio team was Liebke Tegtmeier and Jürgen Kuhn. I'm Sarah Steffen. Bye for now. 